Radio presents a conversation. I want to make one thing perfectly clear. A dialogue. What are you prepared to do? An astute debate. Everything that's in the law. And a peek behind the curtain of politics. And then what are you prepared to do? I think Chicago is not only the center of the country, I think it's the center of the world. Don't tread on them. Where did this statement come from? This is the Sunday Spin. Your host is the Chicago Tribune's Rick Pearson. Good Sunday afternoon, everyone. Happy Easter. Happy Passover season. I'm Rick Pearson of the Chicago Tribune, and welcome to this edition of the Sunday Spin for April the 12th, 2020. This is our look at the world of politics and policy as we take you from City Hall to the State House and all the way on to the White House. So time to take a break, and we'll get you prepared for the week ahead. And let's see if... Uh, Hopefully the numbers can hold, and uh, everybody's doing their part by staying safe and staying at home. I like to say, you know, it's got to be 5 o'clock somewhere, and uh, with that in mind, I can't think of anything more than, on a personal note, uh, to uh, wish Dolores Tarowski a very, very happy, happy birthday down in uh, Louisiana in the Baton Rouge area, and uh, I know how she likes to celebrate her. It must be 5 o'clock somewhere, so uh, we'll be uh, toasting you later this evening. So happy, happy birthday. We're going to start right into today's show. We're focusing today. Last week we talked about how the uh, organized labor was dealing with issues surrounding the coronavirus. Today we're going to see how the business community is dealing with the issue and how it's adapting to help out. Joining me now on the phone is Rob Carr. Rob is the president and CEO of the Illinois Retail Merchants Association. Rob, happy Easter. Welcome to the show. Rick, happy Easter. Good to be with you again. I hope you and your loved ones are safe. Uh, Yes, and uh, I wish that for everyone. I wish that truly for everyone. Um, I'm wondering, you know, we've been hearing all kinds of talk about reopening the economy and i I do think it's kind of uh premature uh to to really start talking in some respects around that i mean certainly there is some planning that needs to be done but i don't i think people think all of a sudden like the it it is going to be flipping a light switch and it's not going to be that easy no, I don't think it is going to be that easy, Rick. And, and uh, you know, we, we have been talking, I have been talking with our members about that, that I, I don't think it's going to be just like flipping a switch. And I think they know that. I also think the longer we wait, the greater the economic devastation. And I think that there have to be conversations, which the governor indicated he's having. He and I have talked. He and his staff and I have talked. I know they've spoken with others. And uh, it's early, but there's at least some consideration to uh, – you know, some, uh, laying down some plans, allowing ourselves a moment just to peek over the hill in the hopes that we are on uh, starting down the downside of this uh, pandemic. Well, and, you know, this has been, like all industries, it's been a rough time for the, the, the retailers. I mean, certainly, uh, you know, these designations of, of what's essential, what's an essential service, those kinds of things. And I almost wonder if, Maybe that's where some of the potential relaxation fits in. It, it might, uh, and you know, this is this is a premature discussion, Rick. And I think we have to be real careful with it because, um, you know, we're going to have to think about all the practices that are in place at the stores that are open and are are busy. Um, you know, let's think for a minute about grocery stores, pharmacies, hardware stores, 
and convenience stores in particular. Um, th- those are probably in that order are the, are the busy ones right now. And all of the p- things that they have in place to try and uh, ensure that this, uh, this virus doesn't spread um, any further than already has. So when we start to think about reopening businesses, we have to think about giving them the lead time to know that they're going to reopen to put some of these things in place. Um, and then we also have to uh, have a lot more, I think, education effort aimed at the consumer that just because the stay at home gets lifted doesn't mean some of these common sense measures get lifted, that those that continue have to be practiced. And as the governor has noted repeatedly, that burden ultimately falls on the consumer. So you guys in the Retail Merchants Association, you've been doing a lot. You've been uh, basically, uh, in, in some respects, trying to help deal with the issue of people being furloughed from other jobs because in certain parts of retail, uh, the availability of jobs uh, is, is huge. Right. There's been a, you know, as, as I've noted, there is no retail, se- there's no economic sector uh, other than perhaps the travel that has been as devastated as the retail industry. Uh, we, uh, other industry sectors have, uh, are continuing to function, have a few that are, are hit. We have many that are hit and a few that are functioning. Groceries, one of them. Pharmacies, I mentioned, uh, in particular, they've carried uh, groceries in particular have carried a he- heavy load throughout this. I think people forget that uh, um, we're all learning about this on the fly. Um, there was a great deal that was being done by uh, retail in terms of experimentation with what was working and wasn't working uh, in terms of managing the consumer and social distancing within the store before government had even put out guidelines. Um, we found out early on some of the things that were working and weren't working. Um, you know, r- retail and grocery stores stepped up. They needed people to meet the rush, the his- literally historic demand. There's never been this type of demand uh, for foodstuffs and consumer goods in, in, our, in history, at least as far as anyone has, has kept records. Never. And, uh, you know, th- they went early on. We, we put a, pl- a spot on our webpage uh, at www.irma.org where, pe- where businesses uh, that wanted to hire could post and, and leave uh, information as to where applicants uh, could, could uh, have, their, have their application considered. Um, so that relieved one burden there. Uh, but it also creates others to try to get those new individuals trained and up to speed uh, as we're trying to implement procedures on the fly. Well, and, and you talk about the, the demand for foodstuffs, and yet, you know, and I was at the grocery store the other day, and still, you know, all the pasta's gone, all the, all the paper products are gone as, as quick as, as they can be stocked, and it still seems there's somewhat of a, a, a hoarding mentality among some folks. Well, there may be a hoarding mentality, and, and we were, you know, we put together an information campaign around that hoarding uh, early on, as, as you will recall. Um, the peak was March 12th through the 20th. That's when you really had this crazy panic buying, and, and I will never understand what drove it. Um, you know, even when you looked at the countries that were hit before us, no one closed access to grocery stores or pharmacies, uh, no country, no region, no city. Um, the rumors were everywhere about, you know, the National Guard was going to, you know, declare martial law and grocery stores were going to be closed for a week. And it was just absolute silliness. 
Um, never understand the run on toilet paper. There's nothing about COVID-19 that requires a run on toilet paper. But what's going on, but we adjusted to that supply. We worked very closely early on uh, with all levels of government to, to smooth out the kinks in the, in the supply chain, that, the regulations that ordinarily we never notice, but under heightened demand we do, um, and, and got those out of the way. Uh, now, though, what's happening is government has expanded uh, SNAP uh, eligibility. And so beginning, uh, sorry, Rick, on the 8th, I believe on Wednesday the 8th, um, an additional $76 million in SNAP benefits hit uh, hit the grocery stores. That's a 26% increase above what was happening before the pandemic. And then there will be an even larger uh, input, almost $100 million, near the end of this month. So really what we have is, is um, heightened, uh, high, heightened demand, but not necessarily from hoarding, from increased eligibility. We're speaking with Rob Carr. He's the president and CEO of the Illinois Retail Merchants Association. I'm Rick Pearson. This is the Sunday Spin. This is the Sunday Spin on 720 WGN. Once again, here's Rick Pearson of the Chicago Tribune. Welcome back to your Sunday Spin. I'm Rick Pearson of the Chicago Tribune here in the WGN Skyline studio. And on the phone is Rob Carr, president and CEO of the Illinois Retail Merchants Association. We're kind of uh, taking a look at how... Uh, retailers are uh, trying to make it through these very difficult times. And, you know, Rob, obviously, you know, people have been forced to adjust uh, retailers uh, that that are not deemed essential uh, for opening their stores, uh, moving towards digital and online. And I know there was always a great deal of tension between, you know, that kind of segment of the brick and mortar versus the digital and I guess I'm wondering, you know, is this is this creating a new way of thinking for for retailers? Yeah, Rick, that's a, that's a great question. I do think that you know we're going to see a lot of things come out of this pandemic. You know, retail I've always talked about has been the most is the most evolutionary of the of the economic sectors because we're consumer facing 100. percent uh, and I think we're going to see very positive things ultimately come out of this, new ways of, of approaching business. Um, many of these things were already happening. I think, um, though, that this pandemic uh, accelerated that to a great degree, as it accelerated many other things. Um, I think you're seeing uh, businesses try to figure out how to do that um, on the fly. Uh, and I think they're doing a good job of it. I think you'll see others do that as well. Um, you know, as we think about, we talked about at the opening of this segment about reopening. I think you'll see uh, um, retailers continue to make that adjustment toward figuring out ways uh, to ser- continue to service their customers uh, remotely you know, or through curbside or, you know, uh, takeout. And, and that term typically applies to restaurants, but it can apply to any type of retail setting. Um, I think you'll see more of that uh, as we see, uh, as we hopefully see um, the the, uh, the stay at home uh, slowly lifted i i know that you uh, also represent uh, some restaurants as well and to me that that seems to be where the real trauma is falling in is is uh you know there's already grocery is a thin margin restaurants a thin margin and i really wonder when we quote get to the other side unquote where if that isn't one of the most serious places of devastation uh, it may very well be i think the good thing that we were able to get done when we when we were meeting with the governor prior to his uh, stay-at-home order 
was to ensure that restaurants uh, who were able or who wanted to could continue to serve customers using takeout, uh, delivery, curbside, or drive-through. Um, there were a number of reasons for that. One that was to give the restaurants uh, an opportunity to be viable. Um, and the other was to ensure that the food demand was not completely borne by uh, grocery stores. I think as we've looked around, uh, I, I certainly know and have witnessed uh, a lot of people supporting uh, their local restaurants, perhaps even more than they would have uh, were we not in the middle of a pandemic. Um, so I, I'm hopeful um, that that has given enough of them the lifeline they will need um, to, to, uh, to stay on their feet. Uh, clearly, there's other, been other efforts. Uh, you know, the city and the county put in, uh, city of Chicago and Cook County put in place some assistance efforts. The state put in some assistance efforts for very, very small restaurants. Uh, but hopefully, uh, that effect will allow, allow most of them to stand up. And, and frankly, I think it, it depends how quickly the stay-at-home order is lifted and what kind of uh, procedures are, are put in place for it to be lifted. I think people will be itching to get out of their homes, I think, uh, and to get together with friends and family again. Um, and, and I think they'll be looking at, at restaurants and, and bars to do that. Um, so I guess I'm hopeful, Rick, that uh, that while they have been bearing a burden, that, uh, that the comeback for them will be good. I, I think one thing we have to keep in mind is, as we look at the entire economic sector, is there was nothing wrong. This was not, uh, not an economic downturn caused by something wrong with the economy, um, as we've had in others. This is entirely uh, self-inflicted as having to because we've had to con, uh, con, uh, deal with a virus. Uh, I'm hoping uh, that, that that means that we'll be able to bounce back and bounce back relatively quickly once we get everybody back to 100%. That said, retail in particular is going to need some liquidity assistance to make sure they have the margin to get fully back on their feet. And I was going to ask you about that because uh, – and. and I, I do think, you know, J.P. Morgan actually, which originally had estimated a, a 20% decline in the economy, is now looking at 40%. Uh, you have issues such as also forecasting unemployment to reach 20%. Um, and so you have the combination of, uh, of both the consumer and uh, the, the retailer here of, yeah, people are going to want to go out, they're going to want to, you know, spend money but are they going to have money and that i think is a particularly acute question when you look at the issues surrounding the problems the state's been having with unemployment benefits you're most certainly you're you're correct on that rick um you know i'm not pollyannish i don't pretend it's going to be a 30 or 60 day turnaround i guess my point though is is that when we when we get people it become like a ball rolling downhill right it'll move faster and faster and faster and unlike previous recessions there's nothing in its way other than making sure that covid doesn't rear its ugly head again or we find uh better or different ways uh, to deal with it um we'll, we'll have to get people back working our sector's tried to help do that um I, you know the manufacturing sector i know you're talking to mark in a few minutes uh, has tried to help do that. We've needed people in the transportation system, so I, I, I'm hopeful that there will uh, th- that that ball will get rolling uh, relatively quickly uh, once the stay-at-home order is fully lifted. I know that uh, there's even the opportunity for you know uh, the pharmaceutical retailers, those kinds of places, to reopen the economy will require more testing, more, you know, the governor's talked about antibody testing, and I would assume that, you know, there is an avenue, this was talked about early on out of the White House about drive-through testing at, like, Walmart and Walgreens, and of course there weren't enough tests, 
Uh, but I have to wonder if, as we look forward, things like antibody testing, if that isn't a, a place where those kinds of things can truly come into fruition. I think we're clear if we if we learn things from other nations, I think we're clearly going to need the testing and the tracing that both the federal and the state government have talked about. Um, and the sooner we can get that, those things in place, the better. And given the speed with which other nations have done it, I think it's incumbent upon our governments at all levels to cooperate and get that done. That, that is clearly going to be essential to what we do. Uh, I think allowing others to do the testing is going to be essential. We in the state of Illinois have been, not just the state of Illinois, but particularly here, have been very neglectful over the years of not allowing pharmacists to practice to the top of their professional uh, degrees. This is a perfect example of where we can get over those biases, allow them to practice and expand the bandwidth of our health sectors by allowing them to fully participate in being outlets for the testing. If, if the testing is available and the tracing is available from the governments, there's no reason that you plug the pharmacists in uh, to, to what uh, others are doing. We shouldn't be able to execute that uh, pretty quickly. What would be required to have that happen? Uh, frankly, the state to say it can happen. It's, it's, it's re- relatively that simple. So no legislation or anything like that? Don't believe so at all, no. And have those discussions been held? There have been some discussions along this line, yeah. But it's still, what, premature? Uh, I don't know if it's premature or, um, you know, there's been some loosening around the edges for what pharmacists can do. Um, I think, though, we're dealing with decades. You know, I've been at this for 26 years. Uh, It predated me, right? There's just... We, we've tended to treat pharmacists as pill counters, and they are much more than that when you dig into their education and what they're pro- capable of doing. They're much more than that in nearly every other nation around the world. Um, and uh, it, it's time that uh, America, in, in Illinois in particular, uh, modernize itself and catch up to the rest of the world. Very interesting point. Rob Carr, President and CEO of the Illinois Retail Merchants Association. Rob, thank you so much for joining me as always. No, thank you, Rick. Now back to the Tribune's Rick Pearson. It's the Sunday Spin on 720 WGN. Welcome back to your Sunday Spin. I'm Rick Pearson of the Chicago Tribune. We're going to switch now as we talk about the business impact of the coronavirus and how business is adjusting to it. We're going to switch now to another good friend of the program, Mark Densler. Mark is president and CEO of the Illinois Manufacturers Association. Mark, happy Easter to you. Happy Easter, Rick, to you and your listeners, whether they're celebrating Easter or Passover or the coming Ramadan. I wish you all the best. Well, it's been interesting times for the manufacturing sector, and uh, I, I really think uh, it's it's being fair to say uh, it's been quite an effort of your member manufacturers who have been able to step up uh, and and adjust and donate and and really get involved in a, a positive state response to uh, the coronavirus. Well, our nation's had a number of challenges throughout its history, and every single time manufacturers have stood up and risen to the challenge and answered the nation's call. And I'm so proud of the men and women on manufacturing force today that are doing that again, whether it's making life-saving medical products or equipping our first responders or making sure that our shelves are filled with safe, nutritious food. 
manufacturers are acting every day uh, to try to to try to address the uh, coronavirus and make uh, our communities a little bit healthier and safer. Well, I know, you know, certainly, uh, and, and it covers all aspects. It's from things like donating masks to uh, manufacturers, uh working on uh, new testing results uh, way to, ways to test for results of coronavirus you know it's it's simply amazing the innovation uh that's happened we've seen abbott come a great illinois company come forward with their very rapid testing kit and then we had an issue of um, reagents or vials and abv and lake county answered the call and they're now producing five to seven thousand of these reagent vials for the Illinois Department of Public Health, then Rick, up and down the line, large company and small, I can go through a list. You talk about food, and when the school kids were sent home initially, uh, we reached out to Kraft Heinz, who donated 2,000 pallets of food to help feed the kids, and uh, Richard Wilcox, and um, some of the neat stories are companies that completely have retooled their facilities. Uh, Richard's Wilcox out in the Aurora area was making shelves and literally on a dime they turned to making emergency hospital beds for McCormick Place and other state hospitals. So it's really been uh, a, a warlike type effort by manufacturers to make the products that we need to address this virus. Well, tell us some more of those. I mean, because I don't I don't think they get a lot of attention. I know Abbott did with the testing because we're all focused on the testing. But, you know, what mm-hmm. are some other instances of, you know, manufacturers making those those switches? Sure. You, you look uh, up and down the state, so Marathon Petroleum and downstate Robinson, Illinois, providing a half million masks to local hospitals, including the Lurie Hospital in Chicago and Crawford Hospital down south. Um, a, a neat story, LCR Hallcrest Company in Glenview, uh, they've increased production to over 100,000 thermometers every week because obviously testing is important and we're checking the temperature of employees that are coming into facilities whether it be healthcare facilities or manufacturing uh you know or even a retail store like a baskin robbins um you know folks need those kinds of thermometers diageo the famous liquor manufacturer that makes my favorite crown royal is now making hand sanitizer um you know so so up and down the line um flag source out in batavia they're a manufacturer of american flags and they're now making masks and gowns. Um, so companies are completely retooling, or in other cases, they're significantly increasing capacity to meet the needs of Illinoisans and Americans. Uh, are there employment opportunities here? There certainly are, uh, particularly when you look at the food manufacturing sector, the chemical manufacturing sector. Uh, these folks are hiring uh, significantly, uh, just like some of Rob Carr's retail members are hiring as well. Now, we've certainly seen, on the other hand, some manufacturers that are struggling. The auto supply chain, for example, uh, along with the aerospace, are really struggling. But then you look at great IMA members like Ford and General Motors that are now making ventilators. And Ford, with a location in Chicago, they've now made one million face masks uh, in the last week, and they've donated you know tens of thousands across Illinois. So, Again, you know, large and small, all sectors of the manufacturing space are, are answering the call to to provide these needed supplies. I'm glad you touched on that issue of, of uh, GM and Ford and, and ventilators because there's been so much back and forth about uh, whether the White House should have in, invoked the D- Defense uh, Production Procurement Act uh, and, and whether it was, uh, you know, just a, a cudgel to hold over employers. And, you know, at the same time, we do see 
that we'd have these manufacturers that you know on their own you know jumped in um i was kind of curious what your view was about having that kind of an order you know issued affirmatively and uh, definitively well, what I would tell you is even before the president has issued the, the Defense Production Act, manufacturers were already repurposing their facilities, and ventilators are one of the most important things we have to have. Uh, I think we would agree that the, the federal government was a little bit slow in reacting to what the needs were. Manufacturers stepped in. We're trying to fill that void, and there's been some great successes. Uh, University of Illinois with RapidVent, uh, a ventilator that they their scientists, their brilliant scientists, came up with in about five or six days, and we worked with the University of Illinois and Granger School of Engineering, and we've put them together with some of our manufacturers, including Brunswick and NCI, and so some of those ventilators can begin getting uh, produced. I don't think it needed a presidential declaration. I think manufacturers were already starting to produce this equipment. I mean, obviously, there's that issue of the heavy hand of government, and, and, I, and I understand mm-hmm. that. But at the same time, just you know, the, the demand for ventilators, and even with some of these auto manufacturers stepping in, the question, you know, and, and fortunately, you know, in some parts of the country, the numbers are starting to look a little better. Uh, but at the, at mm-hmm. the time we were debating all this, you know, the, the demand was seemed to be overwhelming and production wouldn't really meet the, the time frame. You know, you're absolutely right. And not just ventilators, but things like N95 masks, uh, 3M, another great Illinois manufacturer, and their, their largest distribution center in the United States is in DeKalb, Illinois. Uh, when they saw the H1N1 virus a decade ago, they, they created the surge capacity. And so they have really ramped up the production of their mask. And I know they've had some negotiations with the president, and they've signed an agreement to, I think, provide about 165 million masks. But overall, Rick, it really just shows the importance of American manufacturing need to have Illinois manufacturers and policies in place so that we can build this stuff uh, in the United States. So the next time we have a situation, whether it's a virus or a pandemic or some kind of situation, we have all of these things made right here in the United States. I, I wanted to ask you about the, the kind of uh, a partnership or collaboration that uh, you guys have uh, put are working with the uh, Illinois Biotech Innovation Organization as what that means as we address this pandemic. So the governor asked the Illinois Manufacturers Association, our partner John Conrad at iBio, if we would co-chair a task force on essential equipment. So we've done that with other groups like MHUB and MXD and the Chemical Industry Council and the Manufacturing Excellence Center. So we're helping companies increase their production if they're already making this. And then secondly, it's really been heartening the hundreds of companies that have stepped up and raised their hand and said, hey, I want to help out. What can I do? They may be a plastic injection molding company or they may make China. Um, They may have never produced any of these essential medical uh, equipment parts. And we've all got them into essentially one system now. And we're helping them. Uh, retool their facilities. We're helping them with legal questions or if they need FDA approval because their products are going to start going into health care and hospital systems. So, And then with ventilators, we're putting groups together to try to build these. So 
I would tell you, Rick, that it's probably been the most challenging time in my career, uh, most humbling, and in, in some days, very rewarding as well. We've had some great successes. What is it like, you know, for for some of these companies who are, you know, jumping in and, and doing something like, say, you know, on the medical side, where you, there needs to be a certain amount, I guess, of, of vetting and, and regulation, you know, FDA, those kinds of things, uh, which is something that's kind of foreign to the the manufacturing atmosphere that some of these uh, outlets are are working in. You know, and we really work with every company individually as part of this task force. If they have a clean room and they have already FDA compliance for some products, they might be able to make a new product that is FDA compliant. And then on the other hand, you have companies like the Flag Source out in uh, St. Charles, an American flag manufacturer, that they don't have that clean room or sterile environment, but they can make masks that are used by retail workers or manufacturing workers that don't have to be FDA compliant. And so really it's it's every company and the capabilities, the machinery they have, and we're trying to plug them in and, and help them. I mean, they've all raised their hand to help, and so we're trying to plug them into roles that they can fill. Well, I guess I, the reason I ask that is because we often, you know, when we talk about business and government uh, and the issue of regulation, and I guess I'm wondering if you know, obviously businesses wanting less regulation, but have we learned something in trying to respond to this pandemic about red tape? Absolutely, we have. And, you know, one of the things that's come out of this that we've seen the governor do and we've seen the president do is actually relax some of these regulations and red tapes to make it easier to produce. We saw the governor, for example, waive the 80,000-pound truck weight limit so that we can uh, provide more product more quicker and more efficiently to stores. Um, We've seen them relax some of the tax payments and the fee payments and extend those. Conversely, on the other hand, Rick, the IMA is still fighting alongside the Farm Bureau and others some ill-advised legislation that would seek to uh, significantly increase costs for chemical plants and refineries and ethanol facilities. And these are the companies right now operating 24-7, making, uh, uh, making products for sanitizers and industrial cleaners. And, you know, the IMA has called on the legislators to stop that legislation right now that would take effect on July 1. So, Again, we need a regulatory environment that's common sense uh, and, and has the certain safety precautions that are necessary, but we can't go overboard and have policies that really hamper the ability to have manufacturing here at home. Do you, do you see the legislature actually doing anything? Uh, you know, we've had conversations with the governor and the four leaders, and, and certainly there are some essential things that they have to get done, including a budget. They're looking, I think, at the hospital assessment plan. Uh, Rick, I would, you know, I would guess that they might come back for a few days. I don't know when that is. You have to talk to the, the leaders and the governor. Um, but I see certainly a shortened legislative session with a, a much narrower focus than they had at the outset. And everything is still kind of a moving target. Uh, budget and everything else. You know, it it really is. I mean, we don't know what this is going to do to the state finances. The University of Illinois uh, came out with a report the other day, and they're looking at a worst-case scenario over the next three years that we could see a $28 billion decrease in over three years in revenue for the state, not a $40 billion annual budget. That's a lot of money. 
So it's it's a different ball game coming out of this. And as you talked to Rob earlier, how we come out of that and the steps that we take, including testing, um, you know, we're going to have to see what that looks like. And there was a, a, a case earlier uh, over the weekend, you might have seen a golf course in Pekin that said, we're going to go ahead and open. And, you know, that's a debate to have. Should we open something like a golf course right now? Um, how do we open retail stores, non-essential manufacturers? Those are discussions that have to occur. Well, and I'm, I, I wanted your take too, and obviously you, you heard Rob, but uh, and and you know we've seen uh, a desire from the White House to, to want to reopen the economy against the issues of safety and those kinds of things, and and that it doesn't obviously it's not the light switch that a lot of people think you know it will take, and and that it, it appears to be more of a phased in type situation. You know, it is certainly a phased-in situation. The federal government, I think, is on their fourth stimulus package. The IMA is working with groups like the Community Bankers Association and their team to make sure that small employers have access to the Paytech Protection Act and some of these other loans, A, for, for just solvency and liquidity so they have those that money coming in. Um, and then, again, how we protect the workers and the public and the communities. You know, manufacturers that are operating today, they've increased spacing and sanitation, maybe split shifts, um, taking temperatures, doing everything they can to keep their employees safe. But as we move forward, certainly the testing is going to be paramount to see who's had the virus, who's not had the virus. And, you know, it may be a case in a restaurant that maybe you can operate at 50% capacity. What do we, you know, we have to look at different sectors. Uh, restaurants and retail is different than manufacturing, for example, or your golf course or your Baskin-Robbins store, whatever it may be. Um, so, I, you know, I think that's going to take a thought-out approach, and, and we need to start having those discussions. But the supply chain is so vast. I mean, it's like, you know, it's the manufacturers that help supply the restaurants and those kinds of things that, you know, it's all it's all part of the same trigger. It is. And we were we were very happy with the governor's executive order and that essential manufacturing was protected, not only the manufacturers, but the supply chain and distribution uh, to that end, we have to have if the grocery stores are going to be operating uh, and we want to have the shelves stocked, you know, whether it's that loaf of bread. And as the governor said a week or so ago, it's also the bag that comes in and the twist tie. Uh, it's just not that loaf of bread. And so we have to protect those supply chains uh, to make sure that, you know, our grocery stores are stocked or our pharmacies have the medication that's necessary. Um, you know, we, we've got to open the economy. It's got to be done in a thoughtful approach and, and certainly a safe approach. What is What do you see it looking like on the other side? Uh, I wish I knew. Uh, you know, this is certainly <laughs> something... Uh, something that we have never gone through before as a country. Um, and again, I think manufacturing typically is one of the first to go into a recession, one of the last to emerge. I think for our sector, it's going to be maybe a little bit different that we're going to lead our way out of it. Uh, the products that we're going to have to continue making to make sure that the country operates, uh, whether it's food or chemicals uh, or medicines. Um, but it, it's certainly going to be a different world emerging uh, from what we saw before. And, and I think this virus, Rick, is going to continue on for some time. Uh, we're going to see certainly our Abbott's and Abbey's and our great pharmaceutical companies. I think there's about 20 different drugs right now that are in formation, uh, either a vaccine or a treatment. 
But, you know, that's going to take a little bit of time, uh, you know, and once we get that in place, obviously it, it makes the world better. But for the foreseeable future, you know, we're, we're going to have to take it kind of one step at a time. Well, as I mentioned to Rob, as far as the retail sector and about kind of the uh, evolution and, and continued evolution into a digital economy, is, does this kind of thing and and move manufacturing even more into that kind of automated technology? Well, I think every industry is going to look at it, and certainly manufacturers, you can't move everybody off a production line. Uh, but what we have seen from this is we've seen some frontline workers be able to work at home, and technology is amazing. The 5G technology and, and what we've seen, you can a lot of times operate your facility from a cell phone and see it, but you need men and women on the production line. But certainly companies over the last decade or so have increased automation. Uh, they've increased productivity while we've reduced headcount. And, you know, I think that trend is going to continue uh, moving forward. Well, and we've talked so often together about the importance of, you know, the, 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 the new jobs in manufacturing, which are the technology. And, and I just think of what students have lost in, in all of this, uh, despite attempts to, you know, do uh, at-home education and those kind of off-campus education. Uh, I, I just think of what students have lost in as they're going to be trying to enter the workforce. You know, you're absolutely right. Manufacturers employ about 600,000 people, as we've talked about in Illinois. Half of those men and women are going to retire in the next 10 to 15 years, and we've got to replace them. And to your point, it takes a different skill set. It takes a more advanced skill set, uh, technology-based, and um, we've really seen we've seen the loss of that over the last uh, decade or so. And there's just recently been a refocus on manufacturing jobs. We hope that continues. There's still going to be tremendous job openings in manufacturing, and these are good, high-paying careers. And uh, we hope that the schools will recognize that continued training. But you know, to your point, this is this takes more than just walking out of high school into a job. It, it takes some additional technical training because of the high skills that are needed today. Right, and and we had talked about how you know the the which is happening the kind of the partnerships of, of private public and community colleges those kinds of things uh, to uh, basically steer students into uh, technology manufacturing profession, and that's that's kind of what I was getting at about losing that kind of connectivity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you have to have that connectivity. And talking about some of the neat success stories, Rick, of what we've seen. School District 214 out in the Arlington Heights area and Harper Community College have paired up together, and they're producing, I think, about 10,000 face shields from their manufacturing program, uh, which is just a neat byproduct of what we've seen, a great partnership out there. And we need to continue these partnerships so that we train the men and women uh, our workforce for the future. But you think the focus most immediately is going to be kind of on the continued uh manufacturing effort to deal with the coronavirus absolutely for the immediate uh for the immediate future certainly manufacturers are focused again making the medicine and the emergency equipment whether it's masks or gowns making sure our food supply is safe and stable um but you know we're going to we're going to come out of this over a period of time and manufacturers are going to do what they continue doing and uh you know making a whole variety of products that are shipped around the world um but i think the immediate focus right now are meeting the needs for illinois meeting the needs for our nation uh while we're undergoing this pandemic 
along those lines how much you know in we've all seen the stories about efforts by states and, and the federal government to procure uh ppe how much how much how much should illinois companies be part of that global kind of race versus supporting illinois first well, our hope is that we have supply chains moving forward uh, in the future that are strong enough in Illinois and the United States to take care of the demand that we need. Uh, again, this shows. So we learned. We learned. We, we learned a lesson. You know, we. I think we did. I think we learned a lesson that certainly global trade is important and global supply chains are, are important, but we also have to make sure that we have a supply chain here in the United States and. Uh, when this pandemic hit, and obviously it hit kind of China and Asia first, and we lost a lot of our supply chains over there, and we were slow to respond here, the federal government, and manufacturers are up and running now, and they're producing this, and as Asia is coming out of this a little bit before us, we're seeing their manufacturing supply chains kind of kick back in, um, but it really showed that that we weren't ready for this pandemic, and you know, hopefully we'll be better prepared in the future, and hopefully we'll have these manufacturing these key manufacturing products sourced in the United States and Illinois, so we don't have to worry about procuring all this from around the world. Now, uh, regular listeners know that I wanted both you and, and uh, Rob on a couple of weeks ago, and we were kind of preempted by the uh, address from the White House, but uh, in early uh, April. You were uh, you were running the uh, Maker's Madness competition, and and I almost wish it was still going because it's a great armchair kind of thing for those of us who are at home. But uh, just if you could explain that, and uh, and and now we have the results. We do. We we had a fun contest, Rick, called Maker's Madness, the coolest thing made in Illinois, where people could mo- vote for the coolest product made in Illinois. The coolest we had thing in Illinois, cool- yes. Coolest thing made in Illinois. We had over 450 nominations, 260 unique products, 300,000 total votes over eight weeks, and the Caterpillar 797F mining truck won. It is a, Rick, it is a monster. It is the size of about a 45 hundred square foot house, twenty three feet tall, thirteen feet tires. Uh and it faced some some competition, whether it was Bloomington Beer Nuts or the John Deere Combine or the Red Solo Cup. Uh it was a fun contest that uh, to really just showcase great manufacturing products and companies that are made in the state of Illinois. Uh is the website still open by the way? So people could get a look at the uh the list? It is makersmadnessil.com, and Rick, this is the first year. We're going to have it every year, so we'll kick this again off in uh, early 2021 where we'll take nominations and and people can again vote for what they think the coolest thing made in Illinois is. But it it was a fun tournament. It allowed us, again, to showcase great products that are made here um, and and just a lot of fun to have. And I'm a lucky guy when when we did this and it took off. Nowhere in my wildest dreams would I imagine we had 300,000 votes over eight weeks. That's Mark Densler, President and CEO of the Illinois Manufacturers Association. I'm Rick Pearson. Thanks for listening to The Sunday Spin.